This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. so angry i just recorded my little intro it was about 10 minutes long actually that's not that little of an intro it's a fucking big intro and i realized i'd left my headphones plugged into my laptop which meant that i was recording through the microphone in my headphones which means it sounded like shit so now i've got to talk to you all over again about this crap Uh, i was just talking about the word cunt okay Because I had a conversation, uh, interesting conversation about this with a friend of mine. Now, you may well know that the word cunt has a lot more weight to it in the U.S. for some reason, right? Like in England, things have changed a bit since I was there. But still, you can throw the word cunt around a little bit more freely than you can in the U.S. If you say the word cunt around here and a woman hears, she will vomit and get angry with you. And she'll be very offended by it. Not because it's an offensive word, not because it has any meaning to it that should upset her, but because she wants to be offended by it. Now, we all know, right? You're all social media savvy. You all follow me on Twitter, for fuck's sake. Um, People love being offended, don't they? They love it. They love feeling like a victim and thinking everything's unfair. And they love to call you out for saying something fucked up and they want to shame you and tell you how offended they are, right? Uh, especially women, right? Women are so easily offended that just me saying this means that if a woman is listening, she just took unnecessary offense to that by my sweeping generalization. That's how women are. And women love it. They love getting offended. And so in the US, women have claimed the cunt. They've claimed it. They've made it theirs. Um, and I used to have a bit about this, right? I used to have a, that I did on stage. I did it twice. But for reasons that will become clear, I had to uh, abandon this bit, okay? Because the whole point of the bit was just pointing out that the word cunt is not particularly offensive, but that American women want to get offended by it. They want an excuse. They want something to allow them to get really upset and yell at you and feel like you've really shamed them. And uh, uh, there's more to it, but the punchline, if you can call it that, was just they want cunt. They want it to be their N-word. Except I didn't say N-word. I actually said, beep. I beeped myself. I actually said it because I naively thought back then that if I said it within the context of a joke in which, you know, in that particular context, what I'm actually pointing out is that the N-word is bad, okay? There's no C-word. There's not, you know, I can say cunt within the... uh, conversation you know but the n-word i didn't realize since then for reasons that i did explain the first time i recorded it i can't be bothered now um 
I've learned. I, I, I understand that even out, even within a, a nice context, even if I were to say, I hate the N-word, I think it's disgusting, never say the N-word. If a black person hears it, there's so much negativity. There's so many, there's so much nasty, historic, just ugliness behind that word that I can see that that could just make you feel bad. And it's not hard to not say it, right? So I, so I would never say it now, not even as a joke. But now this is interesting. I had a conversation with uh, one of my two black friends. That's right. I have two black friends. You probably only have one and even, and he doesn't even really consider you a friend. All right. I've got two. Okay. I'd give you one of them if I could. I don't even need to. I just need one, but I got two, you know, I'll keep them. Anyway, I was having a conversation with one of my black friends, the better one. And, uh, I was talking to him about the the word cunt and saying that women should, that it's not any more offensive than any other slur, any other swear word or cuss word, as they call it in the Americas. Um, and he disagreed with me. He said, no, no, it is bad. You can't use it. You can't. And I was like, what do you, did you just call me a cunt? He's like, no, I said, you can't. And I said, oh, okay. Um, but I was blown away by this. I was like, but wait a minute. You don't think it's as bad as the N-word, do you? And he says, yeah, it is. It's as bad as calling someone a, and he said the N-word. What's interesting, by the way, is before he said it, he like looked around nervously and said it quietly. Like he was going to get in trouble. I was like, what? You're black. You get to say it. Why are you being so careful? And he says, honestly, I just do that because... When I say the N-word, it scares the shit out of white people. And I was like, that makes sense. I understand that. But anyway, I, 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 went, through, I went through great effort and, and detail to explain to this black man why the N-word is worse than the C-word, let's call it, right? So I, and, and this is the story I gave him. I said, look, there's never been a time. The C-word, cunt, does not have the same connotations. It doesn't have the same historical weight. It doesn't have any of that shit. There's never been a time in the history of the United States of America, the dark, nasty history of the U.S., right? There was never a time that women were just completely segregated, treated like shit, and like once upon a time back in the day in fucking Iowa on on a farm, two little boys are playing outside, having a great time. And then all of a sudden, a little girl in a raggedy dress just scuffles and crawls under a fence to get into their yard and starts playing with the little boys. And the little boys are innocent. They don't know any better. So they're playing with this little girl. They're having a great time. They don't realize that this is not acceptable. And they're playing, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, the, their father looks outside, kicks open the door and says, what the fuck is that cunt doing in my yard? Blam, blam, starts shooting his shotgun. Get out of here, you cunt. Get back to your own kind, goddammit. And she has to fucking jump over the fucking fence with her amazing cunt uh, athleticism. And just sprint back to the, the cunt ghettos and back to her mama. Oh, mama, why? Why do the men folk treat us so bad? Well, they just men folk, child. You don't worry about them, nothing. They called me a cunt. Slap. Don't you ever use that word in my house. That never happened. I, that was very, I don't know why I did that voice. I'm sorry. But you see what I'm saying? All that shit happened to make the N-word unacceptable. Cunt doesn't come close. So I told him this. I used that sort of that example, right? 
And he still was like, you still can't, still can't use it. It's still bad. It's still bad. And I said, as bad as the N-word. And he said, it's just as offensive to a woman. And I said, all right. How about this scenario? We were in a bar, right? And I said, if there was a black woman sitting at the end of that bar right now, and I had to walk up to her and either say, what's up, cunt, or what's up, N-word, which should I pick if I had to? And he immediately changed tone. He went, oh, god damn. In that situation, man, you got to call that nigga a cunt. Oh, god damn it. Let's get going. Rugby Ranta Banta, episode 18. Let's go. Relax, relax, everything's fine. That's what he said, all right? Let's move on with the rugby chat. Now, you know, rugby ranter banter has slowly been developing because I haven't really known what the fuck I'm, not so much not what I'm doing, I sort of know what I'm doing, but I don't know why. I'm not quite sure what the point of this is. There's very good rugby podcasts out there. And surely, my point of difference is not that I will say cunt and uh, apparently the N-word. I do not want that to be my thing. Uh, But it is clearly that I I, I will, I'll say whatever I want. uh, And I'll get fired up occasionally. I do think things got a bit weird when there was no rugby, that's for sure. I didn't really have a lot to talk about. Now, thank fuck, it's the second week of the new Gallagher Premiership just passed and that weekend of rugby i think we can all agree was better than the first i enjoyed it a lot more um but just to sort of as this show is developing because i feel like it is i think that the the main point of rugby ranter banter is going to be to say stupid shit and swear and be a twat a 38 year old child um but also i i do want um to, to really have the, the sort of emphasis of this to be revolving around who I think should be playing for England, who shouldn't, and all of the bullshit associated with it. Was that obvious? Why did I even explain that to you? It's kind of obvious, isn't it? Um, I think I have made that clear. But what we're going to do now each week uh, is I will analyze each match to the best of my inadequate abilities and I really will sort of cast a, a view over who I think is looking like they could be in the England squad and who I think isn't. Okay, there's a lot of uh, a lot of that shit going on. So we'll start. Excuse me. We'll start with the uh, Saints Quins match now. Now, some of you may know that I am a Saints fan. Some of you hardcore listeners uh, will know that. I'm a terrible Saints fan. I'm not a good Saints fan at all. Half the time, I don't even give a shit what happens with them. Partly because they've been bad for a while, but also because I, I 
I explained this in the very first episode. I'm not going to send you back there, but maybe not the first episode, one of the first episodes. I won't force you to go and look it up. But basically, in a nutshell, when I was a child, a youngster, I loved Tim Rodber, and he played for Northampton. And that's about it. And then over time, I, they sort of became my team. They weren't, you know, I'm from Colchester. I was nowhere near Northampton. The closest uh, top team was, I think, Saracens, but that was before they were, I think when I first started playing, I don't even know if they were in like top tier. What did they have back then? What was it called? I can't remember. Division one, whatever it was. It wasn't a premiership back then. Anyway, so um, just to uh, answer a question, wasn't really a question, more of an accusation, I felt like, by uh, Sam Griffiths. Uh, by the way, Sam, if you're listening, my son's, uh, my five-year-old son's teacher is called Mr. Griffiths. And for some reason, my son always calls him Mr. Snap and Stick. Does that mean something? Can you explain that? Does that, because we can't figure it out. And Mr. Snap and Stick won't fucking give anything away. So anyway, Sam Snap and Stick, um, he said, he pointed out that on Twitter, I was getting kind of fired up. I was saying, come on, Saints, you bloody Saints. I was all excited. And he pointed out, wait a minute, I thought you didn't really give a shit. And you're right, Sam. You're absolutely right. The only reason that I was getting fired up about it, if I'm honest, the main reason is that I had a, not even, but you know, a little gentleman's bet with Dougie from the Mall Over Rugby podcast that um, I said that Saints would beat Quinns by about 10 points. Actually, I said they beat them by 10 points. What did they beat them by, nine or something? I don't know. Um, so that is the only reason. I, I just wanted to win. I just wanted to be right. Not that it even means anything. You know, and it could have gone either way, really. All those Saints definitely deserve to win it. Anyway, that's why I was so excited. Okay, if I think Saints are going to lose, I'll make a gentleman's bet against them. And uh, no, do you know what? I am a bit of a fan. I don't ever want Saints to lose. Um, and they look like they might not for a while because they look like a brand new fucking team after that game. I loved it. They did. I, I, I knew. I knew. Based on the first match, what went, what they did well and what they didn't do, and the fact that they were going to be at home against Quinns, who had that big opening win, I knew that they would come out hard and aggressive, um, and they did. But there was so much more. There were, they were, they had aggressive defense. They were tenacious at the breakdown. They were desperate, and this was the best thing about them. They were just desperate to keep the ball alive. You could see this changing coaching taking place. You could see. There's the offloading like madmen. It was fantastic. Um, Asi Tuala, he's not English, so I shouldn't even talk about him, but fuck me. He, in the past, I have thought of you, I've always thought of him as a bit of a donkey. Like he's big and strong, but he just, you know, throws the ball into touch, kicks badly, uh, just fucks up generally. But he was, for me, he was the man, he was the best player on the field. Like he did make a massive fuck up, which uh, Dougie pointed out. Um, on Twitter with me, it was a huge, colossal fuck-up. Like, right near the end of the match, where he just dropped, for no reason. It was almost like he knew he was playing too well, so he had to quickly... Um, it's it's like when Superman... I can't bother to do that, The comparison, what am I talking about? Anyway, he was fantastic. Who else played well? Now, James Haskell, he, I, I fucking hope he was doing a lot of the quote-unquote unseen work that everybody likes to say people do when they don't seem to do anything. 
because I didn't see him do a fucking thing. And I think, you know, maybe he'll get better as the season goes on. But when you compare him to Chris Robshaw, and I'm not like a huge Chris Robshaw fan. I, I think he's good. I've never been like raving, you know, a raving supporter of him. Um, don't very often don't think he should be in the England team, but you compare his performance to uh, Haskell's and it was like night and day. I mean, Rob, he was conspicuous in his work rate. I mean, everything he did, tackling, competing at the breakdown, carrying everything, uh, everything that you would think Haskell would do. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe, 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 uh, maybe, maybe he's one of those players that you kind of have to just watch him all the time, which I did not do. And maybe he was, you know, doing a lot. And maybe he had this galvanizing effect on the rest of the team. It's still cool. I, I was still happy to see him play, play for Saints. And uh, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, on the Quinn side, Marcus Smith's defense. Holy fucking shit. Why is no one crapping their pants and losing it? over? There? He's incredible. Oh, God. Someone texted me. I thought I had my phone on Do Not Disturb. This is outrageous. AJ Martinez from the Eddie and AJ podcast, which you should su- subscribe to. Um, Marcus Smith is playing as well as any fly, other fly half in England right now. Um, now that he's not some unknown schoolboy, you know, he's actually playing premiership rugby at a high level. I'm sure Eddie Jones will just completely ignore him. I'm sure he'll never play for England again. Now that he, now that we know he's the real deal. That's what Eddie, I'll save it. I'll save it for Eddie versus Eddie. The famous Eddie versus Eddie segment of the podcast. Uh, Joe Marchant's defense was bloody good too. So good that he took bloody Luther Burrell out of the game, didn't he? Did you see it? Smash Burrell, he had to go off. Now, Joe Marchant, usually we sort of credit him with footwork and athleticism and stuff, but defensively, he was really good. Um, again, in the Harlequins team, Danny, Ke- Danny Kerr's box kicking was class. I was really impressed with that because, I mean, Danny Kerr has a great all-round game, but, you know... We- he's sort of been competing with Ben Youngs over the years. And the one thing that seems to keep Ben Youngs ahead of him is he has a superior kicking game, but that was as good a kicking game from uh, care as I've seen in a while. And up against Reinach, who now that he is playing consistently well in the premiership, I, I just realized the top three scrum halves in the premiership are now South African. Reinach, Huchard and Fafta Klerk. Who's better than them? I mean, maybe Danny Kerr. Or maybe Dan Robson. But probably not. Probably all round, those three are probably better. Um, I wasn't impressed with Nathan Earl, by the way. I made a note of that. Um, we'll just add him, I think, to the list of young talent that everyone gets hard-ons for every season but never really does anything. Um, there'll be more to add to that list. I just like... I mean, he's he's quite big isn't he and he's powerful and he's fast but he doesn't he took some he doesn't take the right option very often and and just at one point he got the ball in he had a bit of space and i really would have loved to have seen him try to take somebody on he just kicked it straight straight to the saints defense like not even into space it was totally pointless and maybe he'll get there eventually but not yet um rc tuala fucking amazing did i already talk about him I can't remember if I did or not. Asi Tawala. I did. I already talked about him. <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway, um, who else? Tom Collins. 
Tom Collins had a weird game because he's so clearly talented. He's so quick, agile, athletic, but he dropped more fucking ball than he caught in that match. It was weird. He like he wasn't even he wasn't pissing me off because he looked like such a threat. But it was just sort of eventually I just started laughing. I was like, Jesus Christ, let's just don't even give him the ball. He's just gonna drop it. Damn bigger, casually impressive, doing all the things that we know he can do. And he'll only get better for Saints as the season goes on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this season he is considered the signing of the season because, as I say, casually impressive. Qu- not not quietly so much because he did some spectacular thing. He took some great high ball, kicked well, determination. Fuck me. But I think he's going to get better. Um, and then last thing to talk about in the Saints-Quins match, the hor- horrific nightmare moment where Sam Vesti ate his own fucking bogey. I almost said booger, but I didn't. That's unforgivable. That really bothered me. I I did not know. It's sort of being laughed about. Like, if that were me, I mean, I'd never do it. I mean, is it just me? To me, that is along the lines of, he may as well have, like, flung his shit across the fucking stadium, pulled shit out of his pants and thrown it onto the pitch and laughed. Like, he put his finger up his nose, pulled something out, and then put it in his mouth. I did not know that grown-ups ever did that. I'm, I'm going to be sick. We've got to move on. Now, Saracens versus Bristol. I uh, don't want to talk about it too much because once George Smith got red-carded, I stopped watching it. I fucking hate red cards. There's got to be something done about it. I understand that there are, you know, there's situations where you have to be able to punish a team like really properly punish them and a red card taking them off, taking someone off and uh, reduce them to 14 men. It works, but it just ruins the game for me. Even knowing that there's been times when a team has been down to 14 and still won more often than not, it's not the case. And then I can't enjoy it. It just bugs me. I can't watch Saracens against Bristol to conclusion, knowing that it was not really a fair fight the whole time. And Saracens beat them fairly comfortably. But bef- and, until George Smith was off, I, w- I was sort of thinking, fuck me, Bristol's defense is actually potentially good enough to keep them up. I mean, uh, if in all honesty, my gut is telling me they are going to go down. That we're all, you know, all this talk of oh, not this year not straight down again this year, but I have a feeling that actually is what's going to happen. And I hope it doesn't, but anyway. God, I wish George Smith hadn't been sent off, though. Because if they could have, you know, put in a really good showing against Saracens, that may have uh, persuaded me otherwise. Moving on, though, Wasps versus Exeter. Fucking entertaining match, wasn't it? Jesus Christ. Elliot Daly scored a brilliant try early on. He was brilliant throughout the match. Although I did notice he kicked a lot from first receiver. Like, I, I mean, I know he can move into first receiver, and but I, I'll have to... I'm not going to rewatch it. I can't be bothered. But if I did, I would be curious to see if they did that too much. So I remember at one point seeing him take the ball, first receiver, kicked it deep. Didn't really do much, though, and it frustrated me. Um, I really love this battle of uh, Slade versus Daly at outside center. Because all in all, I'd say Daly was probably the better. Now I can't even remember if Daly was was Daly playing at outside center. It doesn't matter. All in all, I think uh, Daly probably had the better match, probably. But 
Henry Slade outpaced him. Like, properly outpaced him. He outgassed him. And, by the way, he fucking outgassed Christian Wade, who is increasingly making me look stupid for my demands that Eddie Jones pick him for England. Uh, although, Christian Wade, he did take a great fucking highball, which is something that he gets shat on constantly for, despite it's just this lazy criticism that people have based on appearance rather than fact. They look at him and he's small, so they say, oh, he can't handle highball. Well, he did. He, take, he, he does it. He does tend to take it very well. But anyway, Henry Slade, I can't remember if it was the interception or it was an interception. But for whatever reason, I know when he took that ball, Daly was already running back. And couldn't catch him. And Christian Wade couldn't catch him. I'm not shitting on Wade or Daly's pace because they're both fast, but I didn't know Slade was that fast. That is very interesting. I still think he might. I know he had a rough tour of Australia, but he might be one for the future. Well, one for the near future. Um, anyway, there was a bunch of other shit in that I can't be bothered to talk about. Let's move on. Leicester versus Newcastle. Do you know what I... My overwhelming feeling was watching that game. It was another great match. Um, you got Manu playing better, starting to get some games together. The thing about Manu is we know what he can do. We know that he's a physical threat. And we know... Actually, he showed some good uh, touches with the ball too. He, that's always been underrated. The only thing he doesn't have is a kicking game, but he doesn't need it. Um, all he needs is to stay fit. So, you know, until he can manage to get, you know seven or eight games back-to-back together and not get injured, I'm just not even going to get my hopes up. Um, but what I was going to say, one of my overwhelming thoughts was Dan Cole is looking decidedly average. Um, it's at the point now where if you watch him and just pretend it's not Dan Cole, you'll end the match thinking, yeah, average premiership prop. Almost anonymous half the time he plays. Not getting penalties at the scrum, not carrying, not doing... He used to get a lot of turnover ball and shit like that. I haven't seen a lot of that. No, it's only two games into the premiership. I'm not saying he's done. But it's been a while since I've seen Dan Cole and thought, yeah, he's fucking quality. So I'm starting to worry about him. Uh, O'Connor was fucking excellent, the flanker, not the fired manager. Um, Super busy. Offloads and intercept. uh, He put his hand up. He, he aroused my attention. Do you understand? Do you understand me? Um, because he has not really been in the mix in my head for the back row for England, but he is starting to pique my curiosity in terms of England selection. Um, I'll tell you who disappointed me a bit, though, was Kyle Eastman. Now, I know he hasn't like been able to play that much for a while, but again, Kyle Eastman's someone that most of us are aware of what he what he offers in attack. Um, and he's tough. He's a tough little fucker, but he got swept up, you know, just brushed off a couple of times in that match and then ended up having to leave the pitch. It was a very bad performance by him. It was not one that he would want Eddie Jones to take notice of. Um, and then another, this is becoming a bit of a theme, like these uh, these uh, young players that everyone's getting excited about that haven't actually done shit. Oluwafella, is it Oluwafella or Oluwafea? I'll say Oluwafea. Um, picked by Eddie Jones in his squad. Hasn't really done anything, but he's very, very fast. I don't know how much he weighs. He looks like he weighs about 13 stone. 
and he got run the fuck over by Takalua. Now, Takalua is powerful, but he's a scrum half. And you should not, if you want to be an international winger, you shouldn't be getting run over. And not, not just brushed. Everyone can bounce off a tackle, right? But it was like sent tumbling head over heels backward, made to look stupid bad. I do not want to write this guy off after one missed, ta- one very bad tackle. But if you're talking about, you know, playing England 15s, not sevens, I think his twin brothers are a sevens player, right? Or am I creating some ridiculous faux pas uh, and confusing him with another uh, similar player? I don't think so. He, it, it, this ain't sevens, right? You, you're not gonna get. You're not gonna make it to the top just being fast. You've got to have some physicality, and you've got to not get run over by a fucking scrum half. You know, unless it's me playing scrum half. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm fuck no. Um, um, sorry about that. Anyway, the only other main talking point of that game for me was that George Ford is the shit, and I'm starting. Do you know what? I'm starting to get a little bit sick of this fucking clamor for Cipriani, this relentless journalists, punters, everyone just bent over their laptops, beating off at Danny Cipriani, throwing a long pass. If Danny Cipriani had put in a performance like George Ford did in that game, people's dicks would have exploded and uh, the internet would have shut down. There'd just been nonstop video clips of Danny Cipriani scoring tries, running around. Now, don't get me wrong. Danny Cipriani is good, but, you know, he's got a lot of competition now. George, I mean, I say that like he's a guaranteed starter. He's not, but we've got so much strength at fly half. And it wasn't long ago that George Ford was way ahead of him. You've got George Ford. You've got Marcus Smith. You've got um, Marcus Smith. Yeah. You've got um, fucking Owen Farrell is always an option to go back to 10. Um I guess that's really it for fly half, but I'm t- I'm t- George Ford is looking better than Danny Cipriani. And uh, anyone who disagrees with that is probably listening to me right now. Um, Sale versus Worcester. Oh, I was, that was a very, that was a fucking good game in a, in a totally different way. Just in a fuck, a tight, intense physical battle. Do you know who impressed me the most? And actually, if I had a segment, I can't just come up with a segment every time I fucking say something. But it would be a good segment, player of the week, right? It would be Marlon Yard. Because um, he's a guy that I've kind of, I've always known he's good. I've never said, what the fuck are they doing picking Marlon Yard? But he's never been, like, top of my list. I've always had, you know, your Jack Knowles, even Christian Wade, uh, who I'm changing my mind about now. Um, Johnny May, uh, uh, Ollie Woodburn, who just had jaw surgery, for fuck's sake. I really want him to get in the England squad. Well, there's a bunch. I could name more. I would probably have even picked someone like Josh Bassett, maybe, ahead of uh, Marlon Yard. But you know what? In that game, the, the thing that stuck out the most for me about his performance was his uh, his attitude. Like, just his determination, his contribution he's a fucking winger he was everywhere um he's the total package he's got physicality incredible work rate great skills he showed some really good skills and he has the strength when he's being like when he's being tackled just just keep on his feet and offload he has great awareness he has great tactical awareness he's in the right places at the right time and he is fast do you know what 
he really blew me away. He really impressed me. Um, just based on that, I'm going to have to rethink my uh, wing slots. And uh, actually, just based on that performance, I'd probably have, I'd at least have him on the, in the squad, on the bench, somewhere. Um, who else was good? Uh, from Worcester, Pennell, Chris Pennell. Because uh, that's a hard game to play fullback in. And he did pretty well considering and if he can string some more matches together playing like that especially if Worcester get a bit more front football uh he's good enough that he could work his way into the England squad again which would be incredible because last time he played for England I think Worcester were in the fucking they weren't even in the premiership um and it was a while ago there's a possibility with him um Poor for performances. Do you know, I feel really sorry for Cameron Neald. Why do they ever let him throw the ball in? Uh, I think he can play flanker, right? The last time I saw him play, he blew a line out, well, a number of line outs, and he did the same thing in this match, and it nearly cost them, all right? Very nearly. If Worcester, I mean, God, that was a close match in the end. Um, and just to be cruel, Duncan Weir, just want to say, Looks like a garden gnome. Now, I don't want to offend him. He'll never hear this anyway, so we can say whatever we want. It's like I always say to people, don't, you know, if you've got something bad to say about me, say it behind my back. <laughs> don't say it in my face. I've never understood why people want that. I'm very happy to, to be completely oblivious while people are talking shit. I do not want to hear it. So don't tell him he looks like a garden gnome. But he looks like a garden gnome. Next time you see him, just pause the, pause the, the match. Look at him. Imagine him with a little gnome hat little beard at the end of your garden you'll know what i'm talking about speaking of being cruel fuck me the commentators were brutalizing jp doyle in that match weren't they it was lawrence delalio um was it toby flood commentating delalio flood and somebody else fuck i can't remember but they were just shitting over all of that although they had a point because sale in particular in that match were offsides hand in the ruck pretty much the whole fucking game that was a sloppy game uh but a hard game to referee i think and jp doyle is usually good i thought they were a little harsh um but a close match and a good match uh and worcester lost but you know what they they came back from a big deficit and i don't think there's any shame in going to the aj bell and losing by within a converted try like they lost by six points that is not embarrassing that's a good result um that's something they should you know not be happy about but they can take some comfort in knowing that better teams well not better teams but other teams who would consider themselves better have not been so fortunate um and then the last match of the of the week uh Bath versus Gloucester, the result was spoiled for me, so I wasn't able to watch it properly. I tried, but, you know, I, it's just hard. And it's a shame, because it sounds like it was a really great game, and maybe Cipriani would have been worth watching that game. I did see his ludicrous pass. Fucking hell. You know what? I'm starting to think that they're not flukes. Because, I, 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 look, I rate Danny Cipriani. I think he's good. I just don't like... I just think people are getting a bit overexcited about him. But there's been a number of passes he's done... And kicks where I'm like, oh, well, he was probably hoping that worked, but not certain. And the pass I saw him do against Bath, well, he, he had his eyes closed. He was fucking, he had his cell phone. He was taking a selfie. He was uh, 
smoking a cigarette, everything, just nonchalantly, boom. I think it was the pass that put Banahan in at the corner for a very bit of, a lovely bit of poetic justice. Um, anyway, I've reviewed, this is the most rugby-centric podcast I've done in a while. I reviewed every match, and hopefully that didn't make this uh, less entertaining. Um, I'm not going to do cock-ups. And I hope that doesn't upset anyone, but the thing is, maybe I'm just getting better because I'm not making as many cock-ups. I'll tell you what I'll do. If anyone ever tells me something I fucked up on, I don't want to call it fuck-ups. If anyone tells me about any cock-ups I make, like maybe I said the same thing more than once, or who knows, done something really dumb, let me know, and then I might do it. But otherwise, there's just one more segment. The second time ever, it's the return of... Eddie versus Eddie. All I can control is, is what I do is catch the team, and I do that the best of my ability. Has anyone else noticed that Eddie Jones seems to show up at every rugby match like half an hour into the match? Every time I see him, he's strolling in, and the game's been played for 20 to 30 minutes already. Like, what a... What a tremendous lack of dedication. It's no wonder he doesn't know who the fuck to pick. You know, I feel guilty about only being able to watch five and a half of all six matches over the weekend. Okay? I'm more dedicated than Eddie Jones is. It's ridiculous. Um, which leads me to re-emphasize the point I made either last week or the week before. Can't re- fucking remember, but I'm telling you now, if England wants to win the World Cup... They got to fire Eddie Jones the week before the World Cup starts. Because it, this has been uh, validated by Leicester. You know, they get rid of Matt O'Connor. Jordan Murphy comes in. Everything goes great. I've seen it's happened in the World Cup with France. Do you remember they had, I can't remember which was it the last World Cup or the one before they had issues where the players basically revolted. They got into a World Cup final. So it wasn't the last one. It would have been the one before, I suppose. Um, it just keeps happening. You got this, there's a term for it. What do people call it? The new coach phenomenon or something. Fire Eddie Jones the week before. Disaster, what are we going to do? And then send in, I don't know, fucking Steve Diamond. Somebody really confrontational, aggressive, who's like, all right, I'm going to fucking clean up this shit and we'll win the World Cup. Um, Otherwise, we're going to go to the World Cup and there's going to be fucking Joe Cockner Fiega, whatever the fuck. One of these bloody kids who who shouldn't even be in the conversation yet, you know? Kids with with some... Do you know how many 20-year-old rugby players have had a shit ton of talent and gone on to be nobodies way more than actually were successful i don't think we even need to talk about it eddie jones you're done you're finished uh that's not gonna happen anyway um that's it that's all you get today um do me a favor subscribe to this fucking podcast and actually leave a review you know whenever i like this podcast i listen to that i love And I don't leave a review. Um, And I should. And I feel guilty. But I know they're doing pretty well. I'm not doing as well as them. I don't know if I have any reviews. Leave a fucking review. 
people have, have, have individually messaged me on Twitter to tell me that they love the podcast. And that makes me really happy. And I'm very appreciative. But put that energy also into an actual official um, review. And uh, it'll motivate me to try. I sort of tried today. Um, although I did start the podcast by using the N-word. But I think we can all agree that it was it was necessary. It was warranted. And it sets a precedent and it lets you know I will never apologize. Ever. Ever. Um, but please uh, leave a review. Subscribe. iTunes. Acast. That won't use my cover art. Still. I'm losing my fucking mind with that shit. Uh, Stitcher. Does anyone listen on Stitcher? I don't even know what it is. Um, but that's where it is. That's where the podcast is. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Eddie Stevens MD. Uh, I do have at Ranta Banter or is at Ranta Rugby on Twitter for the Ranta Rugby Rugby Ranta Banter podcast. Fucking hell! Um, but I, I don't even know why I bothered because I I, gen, I tend to just use uh, my Eddie Stevens account. So follow me on there, chat whatever. I'm going, boy. It's Rugby Ranta Banter, episode 18. I started off by saying cunt, cause my mouth's like a latrine. Oh, and the N-word is not good, it hurts me down to the bones. If we wanna win the World Cup, we must sack Eddie Jones. The second week of rugby was better than the first. Marlon Yard, he was the best. Could Christian Way be the worst? Oh, I simply can't admit to this, it's blasphemous talk. Dan Cole is far, far worse than has been fat piece of pork. I say that only in jest, just being a pest. These pros are all good, I'm just a twat called Edward. The England coach can't be bothered to watch a whole match. Tom Collins better hope he didn't see him not catch every ball that he saw. Cipriani we adore, but little Marcus Smith can tackle better. George Ford's is good too, and this is where I always fuck up and start to ramble. You know the drill, but I can't even really be bothered to do it this time. I've got much more important things to do.